0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the third Sunday of Toba, and today's Gospel passage uh, from the Gospel of St. John, uh, the evangelist, speaks uh, about a time when the preaching of Jesus and and his disciples overlapped for a little bit of time with the preaching of St. John the Baptist. We've been speaking a lot about St. John the Baptist uh, lately because uh, of his uh, integral story, Uh, and how it's intertwined with the story of nativity which we celebrated recently but also with the epiphany which we also celebrated recently and now we're reading about him again so we're we're talking a a lot about this great saint because we know that saint john the baptist obviously can teach us a lot of things in today's reading the dust the dispute arose between some of the jews and some of the disciples of saint john the baptist regarding the bible says the topic of purification regarding the law and its importance and and regarding whether or not the baptism of john really does anything because after all they have the methods of the law as a as a way of purification so in a way to contradict the effectiveness of the baptism of john the baptist uh, they accuse him. Uh, they accuse the disciples and, and uh, accuse Christ saying, look, you know, they're not even following your baptism anymore. Um, what value is your master, you know, uh, John the Baptist baptism when everyone, the whole region now is following Jesus Christ and following the, uh, the uh, baptism of his disciples? So their intent was to disprove the effectiveness of St. John, but they unwittingly and uh, kind of uh, without knowing was were actually praising Christ and acknowledging that the whole world was actually following him now. John's disciples, uh, though, were troubled by this, right? They, they became troubled and they said, wait a minute, does he have a point here? Um, do they have a point? And so they kind of lacked understanding and because of this, They lost their peace and they were troubled and then they went to their teacher for healing. So scripture always tells us to always be prepared, right? To always have understanding and to have as much as uh, God will give us. And he gives in great measures, wisdom and knowledge uh, so that we can grow in it and be able to stand when challenged. Isaiah 33, 6 says, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. It provides that stability in our life. Uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge in Hosea four six, And many other similar verses in Job and Proverbs and the Psalms uh, that speak to our um, need to grow in understanding, grow in our uh, spiritual understanding of who God is, grow in our theological understanding. And especially when we're uh, brought up in uh, a place like Southern California, right, where you have every creed and every doctrine uh, that you're going to ex- be exposed to, maybe even in the same day, right? Uh, especially if you're still going to school, you're going to be bombarded with different types of philosophies, from atheisms to other religions to other branches of Christianity. So you'll have to be firm in your uh, in your faith. So it's important for us to grow in spirituality, but it's also important for us to grow in understanding and knowledge and so that we can respond. So just like Je- um, Nehemiah the prophet, when he built the walls of Jerusalem, Uh, You may recall what that verse says. Uh, They said they were very eager to build the walls of Jerusalem, which is a symbol of our own spirituality. But not only were they building with, the Bible says they were building with one hand, but because of their enemies that were always seeking to destroy uh, their walls as soon as they built it, they built with one hand and held a sword in the other. Built with one hand. And held a sword in the other so they were always prepared so that when we're challenged like the disciples of st. John the Baptist were challenged they were able to not be shaken but to stand firmly and maybe even helping those around them as well for the two are tied together when we grow in spirituality we grow in understanding and when we grow in understanding we grow in spirituality and each one reciprocally increases the other So the disciples of John came to John uh, the Baptist shaken. They were kind of troubled. Uh, And as a good, loving teacher, he gives them a very long long response full of uh, beautiful spiritual benefit and wisdom, which we, of course, benefit, and we'll talk a little bit about it today. First, he reveals to them, That he himself is content that everyone is following Christ and all the people are following Christ. We talked a a little bit about this last week and how the multitudes were following him and how profound his preaching was that even many generations after, uh, you know, decades after St. John was beheaded, people were still claiming to have been affected by the the preaching of St. John the Baptist and even after the, the crucifixion of our Lord and it was always accurate and it was always powerful and you know some people were actually converting other people based on the uh the the preaching of saint john um, but saint john did not use the multitude right as soon as christ stepped on the scene he handed the whole multitude which were thousands of people he handed them all to christ immediately because he knows the truth of the matter that christ is all in all and that he is but a man sent to bear witness And he notes that a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from above. It's a lesson for us that when regarding things that we can't change, things that are difficult to accept in our life, that we should learn this lesson from St. John to be content. We should rejoice in the honors that we are given to us by God, and they are many. And all the blessings that we receive and not stretch beyond them if they are beyond our reach. If honor doesn't come to us in a certain situation, we should not be troubled or moved by that. But we know that God's ultimate um, uh, honor of us will come because he loves us deeply, even beyond words. And he honors us as is fit in this life and will honor us even eternally later. St. John then gently rebukes his disciples for forgetting the things that he said to them before. He says, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So the disciples forgot that uh, he said this. We also learn from this that forgetfulness in our spiritual life is very dangerous, right? We need to always have um, uh, reminders in our life, in our spiritual life. When we consider the Israelites, for example, who... They um, went through the 10 plagues. They saw how God was uh, working mighty wonders, right, and, and did the 10 plagues. And then they walked. They saw the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. They walked through the uh, Red Sea. They walked through walls of water. But then we hear, and then their enemies destroyed, and they receive freedom on the other side of the, uh, of the Red Sea. And then what do they do a few days later? It's it's in when you think about it you think wow it's insane right they melt their gold they shape it into a cow and they start worshiping it and you're like wow you know how did they go from seeing all these amazing miracles to melting their gold and worshiping it you know it seems like such an amazing transition but we do the same thing when we forget our the the amazing things that God has done for us we have to constantly put in our memory and our thoughts the amazing thing that God has done for us in our lives and those, the things that he's done for us uh, and as an example for us to all the people who have come before us. We've seen his wonders and his miracles and his amazing actions that he's done in our life but also in the lives of those who have come before us. So we should keep that fresh in our mind by reading scriptures, by reading spiritual books and by reading the histories of the church and the histories of humanity generally. So that we cannot fall in that same trap of, of forgetfulness, which hurts the spiritual, the spiritual life. So the church aims at always reminding us of the mighty acts of God, right? From the icons that we see, we see the things that he's accomplished, to the readings, the hymns, the meetings that we have. We remember the actions of our Lord that he did for us. Uh, most importantly, of course, we read the Bible. The Bible, of course, is the best thing to keep that holy memory in our mind. So St. John reminds them and emphasizes that only, not only is he content to give them everything, but his joy is full. He's not only just happy to give uh, the, um, the, all of the multitude of people that were following him to Christ, but his joy is fulfilled in this. He rejoiced greatly and compared his joy to that of a friend of a bridegroom. So if you guys have ever gone to a wedding, as a, you know, you're, you're happy for the bride and the bridegroom, right? You're very happy for them, especially if they're your friends. So the Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So when comparing the two uh, over the years, you know, when you ask somebody, what's easier, to rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep? One might say, oh, it's harder to weep with those who weep. But when you look at, like, historically in your life, what's really occurred— Weeping with those who weep is easier because it takes really a really like heart and heart not to be able to weep when you see somebody fall in some calamity, right? But to rejoice with those who rejoice, it takes, I think, a greater level of spirituality to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's, the I think, the truth of the matter, that weeping is much easier than rejoicing. To see another succeed and not feel envy, bitterness, grudging, and not only that, but to rejoice in their success is someone with a very noble mind and a very noble spiritual life. Um, it's kind of like godlike and Christ-minded because he himself wants to clothe us with glory and honor and all sorts of blessing. And he rejoices in our victories that we have in our life, uh, being the source of those victories, of course. And when we stumble, he wants to see us return again. He doesn't like our enemy to see us fall. He wants to have us victory, have that victory even in the face of those who made us stumble. Of course, we're talking about the devil and his enemy and his band of um, demons. He took our shame on the cross and clothed us with kind of an honor that's indescribable. Uh, And he makes us heirs with everything that he has. But it is more difficult. Think about your own life experiences at work or family and even in church when one is held like in a high esteem or one wins employee of the month, what's the immediate reaction? They immediately receive a backlash of envy and backstabbings, right? Uh, that happens when somebody has a little victory in their life. I've seen people like, um, with my own eyes, see people like willing to even like put in, be put into extreme life danger. For their friends. But um, as soon as that same friend has a victory. They don't want to praise them. Right? But you were just willing to die for your friend. It's easier to even die for your friend. Than it is sometimes to praise your friend. Who has gone through a lot of uh, success in their life. But to weep with those who weep. And to rejoice with those who rejoice. Perfects that bond of unity. Of friendship and of love. It's an interesting paradox actually. The more we share the pain of others, the more that pain decreases. The more we shame the, share the pains of others, the more that pain decreases. But the more we share in the joy of others, the more the joy increases, right? And so you guys might have seen this in your own life too. Uh, so St. John's character is revealed here. He rejoiced greatly at the increase of Christ, the bridegroom. He could have defended himself and said, yes, you know, my disciples, I think you're right. Um, You are right uh, to be angry about this. My baptism is greater. After all, I baptized Christ himself. Of course, my baptism is greater. He didn't say that, of course. Instead, he decreased so that Christ can increase. In the sight of men, he increased. Christ increased. And he revealed uh, the truth about who who Christ was, right? The famous words of St. John the Baptist were so simple, right? But it's the basis of orthodox spiritual life. It's the basis of spirituality. Therefore, my joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. We need to remind ourselves of that every morning when we wake up and say that our goal today, that we must decrease, that He may increase. But what does this mean, really? Um, It's full of mystery, right? Because the spiritual benefits uh, that comes out of this are inspired by the Holy Spirit. St. John, when he said this, it was the Holy Spirit moving him to say this. Because can we really exalt God? Can we increase God who is perfect? Right? He is, all in all, He is full uh, in His greater fullness, in His utter fullness. We cannot, by praising Him, or increase... We can't increase Him who's already full of increase, right? Does that make sense? We can't increase Him, um, but we can... Uh, Because God never never decreases or increases, He's the same. It means, of course, that we must increase Him in our own hearts, increase Him in the hearts of others. That's our job, is to increase Him in our hearts. To allow His kingdom that's inside of us to grow, and to allow it to grow in others. And to allow the throne of the kingdom, which belongs to the King, that inner throne, that only He should sit on, and no one else should sit on. There should be no other occupant to that inner throne that's in our hearts. No one or no thing can sit on that throne except Christ himself, not even ourselves, because sometimes we put ourselves on that throne. I must decrease that he may increase. It's like a simple mathematical formula showing the inverse relationship between us decreasing and him increasing. But we know that life is not like a formula, um, because when we humble ourselves, what does Christ do in return? He in turn increases us almost immediately. Christ um, always increases those who are humble in heart. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And in first Peter it says, God resists the proud, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. So when we decrease, so He may increase, He in turn increases us, right? There's no one else in the world that will do that for us. Only Christ does that for us. Uh, But not so with other things, right, or other people. If we plug into that equation something else, like say for example, let's say I were to say, I must decrease so that money may increase instead of that God may increase. I must decrease so that my popularity may increase. I must decrease so that my possessions may increase. If we spend ourselves and decrease ourselves in pursuit of these many things, what will happen? It's nothing but misery, right? It ends with misery, stress, unfulfillment, and disappointment. If we spend ourselves in the pursuit of God, and we humble ourselves, and we decrease ourselves in the pursuit of God, He lifts us up, and He's the only source for being lifted up. And He's the only source by which we stand as well. So to know ourselves is to know the truth of the matter, that if we stand, we stand by the mercy of God. We don't stand by any other means, not by our own own strength. Even in the height of our strength, we do not stand except by God's mercy. And if we fall, He is ever willing to and ever able to raise us up again and give us victory in the same place there was defeat. So St. John the Baptist understood this. He rejoiced at the increase of Christ and was fulfilled and and content. We have this opportunity every day in our lives to allow Christ to increase. We also have the opportunity in our lives to allow others to increase and to rejoice in this. But it it can be difficult for us. Instead of rejoicing um, at the increase of others, you know, when somebody does increase, we see uh, a mad desire for glory sometimes. It causes all kinds of evil and problems, not only among friends and family, but on a larger scale among the churches and among the nations, right? Envy turns churches upside down sometimes. So St. Basil the Great says, the patron of this church says, Envy is distressed, caused by your neighbor's prosperity. The jealous person is never free from anguish, never free from despair the only cure in his mind is that the fortunate neighbor is deprived of his happiness to become and to become an object of pity. That's the only relief a jealous person will receive. But how do we overcome such a disease called envy or jealousy just like St. John the Baptist did? St. John Chrysostom tells us that we should compare honor with honor and glory for glory. So has someone, for example, come across money or a car, a new car, a nice house, or maybe an inheritance? Consider the riches that God gives us, right? That Christ gives us, and how much more valuable they are than even gold. Has someone received praise or honor in the sight of men? Remember that Christ has given us greater honor, and more than the world can even dare to even say they can give. Worldly glory is a name without reality. It's a drum that has no content, right? Like a drum is empty. It makes a loud noise, but it has no content. Glory in the sight of men is a name without reality. It, it means nothing. The glory that God gives, though, is true, and is full of blessings, everlasting, it endures, it attracts the praise from angels and archangels, and the Lord of archangels gives praise. And of course, in the end, even men will praise. So in the end, you will even have that if we follow, of course, the, uh, the praise of men. So envy is a very dangerous thing. There's a story in the Desert Fathers, it's kind of a comical story, but it's full of a lot of lessons on where we should be in our spiritual life. Uh, there were two monks that were hearing uh, that there were a lot of people in the world that were fighting over inheritances and over money and, and over and like going to war and even killing each other. And so they were perplexed by this, they were confused. And so they talked to one another and said, how can these people in the world do that? And they, they couldn't understand that. So they said, let's try it ourselves. So they grabbed a rock, and they put it in between them, and they said, Let's fight over this rock. I'll say it's mine, and then you say it's yours, and that's how we'll start to fight. So the first one started and said, This is my rock. And the second one said, Okay, if it's yours, you can have it. And so they weren't able to fight, right? And so that's how we should be, right? Is to value these things like rocks of the earth, like dirt and dust. Uh, And they are. When we consider the things that God gives us, these things are but garbage and uh, and things not worthy of our attention or stress. So St. Basil, to close with this, says, When you elevate your mind and fix your attention on what is truly good and praiseworthy, you will be far beyond thinking that any corruptible and earthly good is a source of happiness or enviable. We're not going to be jealous over those things. When you acquire this habit of your mind, you will not be obsessed with worldly goods as if they had great eternal value, and you will find it impossible to feel envy for your neighbor. So as St. Augustine says, um, uh, May the glory of God then increase in us, and our own glory decrease, that even ours may increase in God, to whom we glory forever. Amen.